Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans, and welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And we are your killer couple critiquing and arguing over horror films like a couple of weirdos at the bar. So maybe we never quite enlighten you. Maybe we never blow your mind. Maybe we never drag you into the walls of a house kicking and screaming but hopefully you just have a good time listening so (laughs) so tonight we are wrapping up our month-long theme of home sweet haunted houses with the 1999 remake house on haunted hill just a heads up also you know apologize again for this being late uh we are finally going to be back on schedule next week I'm still a little bit under the weather because flu season sucks and COVID sucks. So I apologize for any coughing and sneezing during this. Um, So House on Haunted Hill, the remake, was directed by William Malone, who also did the the creature features Scared to Death and Creature, uh, which are both pretty interesting. I actually really like Creature because I'm a space horror geek. (laughs) And he also did a few episodes of Freddy's Nightmares, the film Fear.com, which I think came after this. Uh, his last film was Parasomnia in 2008. The film was based on the 1959 House on Haunted Hill directed by William Castle and written by Rob White. And this adaptation was written by Dick Beebe, uh, who got started in TV, including episodes of Tales from the Crypt. Uh, his last film was Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2, which is a way underrated sequel. Highly recommended. Uh, the film stars Jeffrey Rush as Stephen Price. Jeffrey is an Australian actor who started in theater Made his film debut in the film Hoodwink. Uh, He did Shakespeare in Love, uh, a bunch of the Pirates of Caribbean films as Barbosa. The film also has Famke Jensen as Evelyn. Uh, She was born in the Netherlands, modeled in the 80s, uh, debuted on Fathers and Sons, and then was in films like Lord of Illusions. Uh, Broke out, I would say, in the film GoldenEye, where she played the Bond girl villain. (laughs) And she's awesome in that. Um, we all have little crushes on her. <laughs> hell yeah. Uh, she also did the films Deep Rising, The Faculty. Uh, she was Green, Jean Grey in the X-Men movies. Uh, she was also in the Taken films. <laughs> <laughs> she's done a lot. She's, she's done a lot, you could say. Um, let's see. It also has Allie Larder as Sarah. Uh, she started modeling as a teenager and then began her career in TV. Uh, her first feature was Varsity Blues, and then she's also well-known for the first two Final Destination movies, was in some of the Resident Evil films, I think for Superior and Resident Evil Extinction. And then lastly, it has Tay Diggs as Eddie, who started a musical theater and TV series, uh, broke out with the film How Stella Got Her Groove Back, using the movie Equilibrium. And this film honestly just has a great cast, but yes. like always, <laughs> only have room for a few, so... <laughs> Uh, So if you've never seen House on Haunted Hill, it's essentially about an eccentric billionaire named Stephen Price who is hosting a get-together for his wife's birthday, who he hates, (laughs) and she wants to have her birthday at this infamously haunted mansion called the House on Haunted Hill, or the House on the Hill, or I I don't remember exactly which, but... (laughs) And uh, and so anyway, they make... She sends him a guest list, which gets redone 
to invite a bunch of randos to the house, and you find out why later. But anyway, this group of random people show up at this house to for this birthday party, and it are told that if they stay the night, they could potentially win a million dollars, but they have to survive first. And I don't know, to, to say any more <laughs> might spoil things. So <laughs> It goes sideways from there. It goes sideways from there. So it's basically just a kind of what is going on type of film. You know, you don't know what's happening, if it's real or not. There are ghosts and supernatural stuff. Uh, and it's just a really fun movie. You know, this was the first film that came out from Dark Castle when they were doing their William Castle remakes they ended up only doing a few i don't know why they didn't continue <laughs> to do william castle movies especially when their name uh, is dark castle exactly yeah so that was kind of the goal at first and then they just started going <laughs> into doing their own thing which is fine that's fine <laughs> but if you've never seen the film it is streaming on hbo max you can go check it out there do your homework there uh we're gonna be spoiling everything so i highly recommend you do that but first we have our brief little bit of spoiler free content so we'll let you know when we're getting into spoilers so, as usual, tagline for the movie and what you think of it overall. So, the tagline for House on Haunted Hill was, Evil loves to party. <laughs> so, what do you think of the tagline? What do you think of House on Haunted Hill? Uh, if they love to party, they do not do a good job of it in this film. I would say Evil does a great job of partying. I don't think. I, evil this is, is a bad party. Evil is having a blast in this movie. <laughs> okay, that is actually very true. Yeah, exactly. Come on, Chris. <laughs> Um, look, I love this movie. Like, you know, a lot of the movies we've talked about this month, there's something really charming about just like the chaotic energy out of this film. And that's how I feel about this. I have no fucking clue what really happens in the movie. You know, mm. what people are like imagining versus what's real. There's so many different plots happening in this film and like little weird reveals. And not a lot of it makes sense. And I'm okay with that because it's just... Every actor is really, like, in it to win it. Everybody's really, like, just yelling and very extreme the entire time. And mm. the entire thing is just a joy to watch. Yeah, no, I mean, that's how I feel about it. You know, it's it's far from a perfect <laughs> film. Oh, no. Uh, you know, House on Hill is loaded with issues. I mean, <laughs> I could, you know, I, I, I never really criticize films for plot holes because mm -hmm. I think, you know, to me personally, I think plot holes, you kind of take them as they are, yeah, you know. it's a movie. Exactly. It's a movie. Shit happens. So yeah. it's never really a sticking point for me on whether or not a film is quote unquote good. Mm -hmm. um, but House on Hill is certainly like if you are one of those people that nitpicks plot holes, it's full of them. You know? like, <laughs> You're going to have so many problems. Like, like there are a ton of things in this movie that you could poke holes into. But but no, I, I just think it's a lot of fun. You know, mm -hmm. it, it's a really entertaining movie. A lot of that is just due to this energetic cast that just totally nails their roles. Uh, in particular, Jeffrey Rice and Famke Jensen, I think they're both incredible in this movie. You know, Jeffrey's basically channeling. Well, te so so technically, you know, he's doing the Vincent Price character from mm -hmm. the original. But it's funny because according to Jeffrey Rush, he's actually channeling John Waters. <laughs> and so just the combination of that with playing a Vincent Price character, he ends up coming off as like this really, you know, kind of sleazy eccentric yep. Vincent Price. And it's just amazing. <laughs> And then Femke Jensen is just so good at just playing this, you know, bitchy, bitchy <laughs> I want to destroy everything <laughs> wife, right? So no, it's a really fun cast, really fun movie. Not perfect by any means, no. but I have a good time with it. It's a perfect uh, popcorn movie. Yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, look, as far as the not going what, as far as the not knowing what's going on thing, you know, I mean that, it, I would say that it actually does a pretty good job in 
redoing the original in that sense, which I will say the original is probably the better movie. Oh, definitely. <laughs> because <laughs> the original is a little bit more well done, let's just yeah. say, you know. Uh, but, but, but they're both these films that you know, really play with the audience on, mm -hmm. on what's going on. And so you're kind of supposed to watch this movie and be like, I don't what understand what's happening. You know, <laughs> like that, like that's kind of part of the game is both of these movies, there's a game going on, mm -hmm. you know, figuratively and literally, uh, or no, figuratively and metaphorically. So it's like, you know, you're just kind of supposed to have that feeling of what the hell is happening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but again, I, I think that's part of the joy of watching this movie. So yeah. And it's fun to rewatch because you can constantly go back and say, okay, what's real and what's not, mm -hmm. you know, because Jeffrey or, or because um, Stephen Price is this character who plays spooky jokes on people like yeah. he's a showman. Right. And so all through the movie, there are things happening that he's doing. There are things happening that, that other not. people <laughs> might be doing. And there are things happening that the ghosts are doing. So, yeah. you know, it's kind of fun to go back and see, like, okay, what is actually occurring here? Yeah, and with, this movie has such, like, frenetic energy about it that one of the cool things is, is there's so many cool details in this film that you're going to miss because it's so high energy all the time. Definitely. Then on every rewatch, you're going to catch, like, new little details, which is really cool. Like, that's what I like about this one and a lot of the other movies we watched this month is, like, the cool detailing you get with, like, the ghosts and like you know your 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 malicious characters there's just such cool detailing all that and that's what i love about this movie it's just like they, they were just really in it and even though it's not a perfect film it's just it's fun to watch no for sure and you know this this was the film that was basically my introduction to dark castle you know this is the first time i remember watching a dark castle film and like i've mentioned a couple times this month since we've covered other dark castle movies you know <laughs> being excited for the idea that they were going to release one of these every October around Halloween. You know, I still just think that's such a fun thing to do that most studios don't anymore. Which and is such a shame. It, it is. And, it, you know, I love the really creepy title sequence of the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, really sets up the tone of it and just how kind of strange and sort of playful it is. And, and fun fact about it is that the director was actually inspired to do this movie, or at least he was inspired for the setting of it, when he was doing a uh, hospital shoot for a Tales from the Crypt episode, and they were in a basement that was very similar to this that had just been, like, abandoned and run down and all rusty and everything. And he was like, man, what a perfect place to shoot a horror movie. And so that's kind of what House on a Haunted Hill ended up being inspired by visually. Oh, cool. Uh, was just this actual hospital that he had shot in. And then, you know, the house itself to me is iconic, just the look of it sitting on the side of that hill it's not a real house by the way it's a it's a miniature model <laughs> that they shot the exterior of uh and then a bunch of the internals are all you know sets and whatever but that house is iconic you know that 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 particular house i think played a big inspiration in malignant which yeah you know is very much like <laughs> a dark castle vibe right yes <laughs> uh and why i love malignant um so, you know, I, I, I feel like this film did have its fair share of influence, you know, and just mm -hmm. the, the look of it and the playfulness of it. And I think that kind of carried over into a lot of those early 2000s films. And now we're seeing a little bit of redux of that with films like Malignant. So thank God. And thank God. <laughs> I want more chaotic energy horror films. Who doesn't? They're a blast. <laughs> um, but, but anyway, so we're going to get into spoilers now. So again, if you have not seen House on Haunted Hill, please go stream it on HBO Max. We're going to ruin everything for you. Uh, so with that being said, spoiler time. So <laughs> let's just start off with, I think, the obvious, which has kind of been the theme of this month, which is the house itself. 
So what are your thoughts on the house of House on Haunted Hill? Okay, so I know that the title of this is House on Haunted Hill, but I have to make an argument. This does not feel like a house. Get the fuck out of here. It's a house, Chris. It's not a house. It's a mansion. Most it's not a mansion. Do, most mansions don't feel like houses because most people don't live in mansions, but it's a house. I think this is the only house that we It's a seen. house built on a hospital. It's a fucking house. <laughs> this is this is the ugliest house we have covered this entire month. Because I mean, it's just a weird, gross pillar. What, what are you talking about? This house is beautiful, all right? I love this house. This of course ha- you do. Listen, look, that the look of the house on the outside is great. I think that the house actually looks awesome on the outside. You know, I think mm-hmm. this is really cool. I mean, I'm also a person who, like, I want to retire and die on the seaside, you know? Like, I, like, I don't, like, I, I thought, don't... I thought you wanted to die and retire in the woods. No, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> We've graduated uh, to seaside. No, I've always wanted seaside. The the woods is for, like, you know, if we hit the apocalypse, then it's like, all right, I just don't want to be around people ever again. Okay. Uh, which is probably in the next 10 years or so. But mm-hmm. no, but I, I love the look of the house on the seaside out there. It's super creepy. I think it looks cool. I, I don't think I'd want to live in it because who wants to live in a house hanging off the edge of a cliff right <laughs> uh but i think it looks dope you know it's kind of like this sort of like makeshift lighthouse house it's just right? a penis it's what the <laughs> hell well lighthouses yes are just penises chris they guide you to where you're supposed to go that's oh <laughs> i don't like that at all <laughs> well that's how the men that invented lighthouses thought about it <laughs> so it lights your way. Pay attention to my big dick. That's basically what lighthouses are, are saying to you. This veered off quickly. So, so, so no, I, I, I think the house is cool. I, I mean, come on. If we're going to talk about ugly houses, the 13 Ghost House is an ugly house. Like, it's kind I of I would neat. rather live in the 13 it, Ghost no, House. You want, you, of all people, you want to live in the house where everyone can see what you're doing at all times. To be fair, I kind of already have lived in a, like, minimalist weird house where the entire back wall was all glass. So, yeah, I've done that. Been there. I, I, I mean, fair enough. But this is different, and you know that. <laughs> they I couldn't do. see into the bathroom. <laughs> but you could see into the bathroom in the 13 Ghost House. <laughs> you know, you, yeah, could no, just, this one's worse. you could just be standing on the bottom floor and look up and see someone just taking a shit over your head. <laughs> look, this one just feels like a building. And to be fair, like, the last time that this house was used was as like the the sanitarium that the doctor all right all right right. forget forget about how the house looks just what do you think (laughs) about the house itself like what it embodies (laughs) i think i got too fixated on the house's looks with this one no for me it's um i feel like the embodiment of this this house is really tied to that that uh stained glass painting that we see kind of in that opening scene when all the guests gather at the house the one that looks like all of like the weird crazy faces like mm. mishmash together and that's kind of how i feel about this house this house very much feels like a representation of the fact that there is so much history like around us that even though we're not necessarily aware of it all the time like most of the guests aren't like they have no fucking clue they don't have any ties to this house that they know of going into it and yet still like the past of the house is kind of like grabbing them and t- taking it taking them down with it so that's kind of how i viewed this house is just like just kind of the fact that like we can't always necessarily escape from a past well sure and i mean that's that's kind of the (laughs) the crux of a lot of haunted house movies right is there you know as as i've been talking about all month like they're your basic theme in a haunted house film is that concept of being trapped in the past mm-hmm. and being trapped in your mind. And I, and I think that that plays a lot into this as well, which we'll get into in a minute. But, you know, speaking of the stained glass th- 
painting or, or whatever. No, I really like that too. And this is something that I like about Haas on Haunted Hill is that it's not a film that just, you know, hammers into your face everything that's happening, right? Yeah. It's kind of, it kind of leaves a lot up to interpretation. And it, <laughs> yes. And, and, I, and I, I appreciate yeah. that. I would rather, I would always rather a film leaves it up to me to decide than explain everything to me in spoon feed me like a baby you know like i don't <laughs> look i don't want to be spoon fed but sometimes i like someone holding my hand <laughs> look if it's a cool mythos sure you know like that's always fun but but i i, I like the mystery of it right yeah. and and the fun thing about this is that i i think if you wanted to you could make up a theory that you know that stained glass portrait is where the evil of the house comes from you know mm -hmm. Like, we do have this evil... Not the creepy room in the basement? No, no, no. I mean, obviously, the creepy room in the basement is where the evil is being contained at the moment. Mm -hmm. But but I like to imagine that this that this stained glass portrait is where, you know, some of that evil kind of came from. Because, you know, it's mentioned that it's, like, from the Middle Ages. And mm -hmm. and they, they make a point to reference it, right? Yeah. You know, like, it's not, it's not just there to be there. And so... The fact that they reference it, the fact that it's from the Middle Ages, and the fact that, you know, the the darkness itself and everything is all very sort of Lovecrafting in a sense, which I, I believe was kind of the director's uh, inspiration for all of this, was sort of being a little bit, you know, kind of Lovecraft underneath the surface. Oh, cool. I, I think that you could make a theory that, like, wherever that portrait came from, or wherever mm -hmm. that stained glass came from, you know, probably does have some sort of tie to, like... Lovecraftian bullshit or whatever and you know mm -hmm. and could be the source of power or whatnot from where the evil originated and then you know going along with that I do love this whole sort of setup for House on a Hill just because it's so grisly you know <laughs> like like everything we've talked about this month it, it's relatively tame in terms of backstory yeah. you but know this I mean, one is not <laughs> right I mean obviously the haunting has stuff like okay you know abuse of child labor and all that is terrible mm -hmm. Uh, but this one, you really get a good look at the history this of the house. This one's graphic and, about what happened there. Well, right. It's graphic about what happened there, and it's very sinister, you know? Like, just the idea of, you know, all of these uh, asylum patients, like, attacking the, the doctor staff. And it, you could sort of kind of start to build a theory that I like, which is that, you know, maybe Dr. Vanegut, played by the great Jeffrey Combs, who, you know, this has to be like the one movie where Jeffrey doesn't have a line that he's in. <laughs> but he's still a nefarious doctor. I mean, nobody plays nefarious doctor better than Jeffrey. So <laughs> you could sort of build a theory that he was probably always a bit unhinged and mm -hmm. evil himself. But, you know, perhaps this stained glass has this sort of power of darkness that, like, drives people to do things. And maybe it was kind of driving uh, Vanekid to become, like, more monstrous than he mm -hmm. already was. And, and then just the combination of him doing all these horrible experiments on the patients and all that kind of stuff and, and their vengeance on him, you know, that all just ends up building into what the darkness is eventually below. And I also just really quite quickly want to mention is even, you know, at first glance, I feel like this film is, you know, potentially offensive to like, you know, the way we view the mentally ill and everything. Mm -hmm. But the more I kind of examined it, the more I was like, you know, this is actually a somewhat decent sort of portrayal because in this movie, the, the mentally ill are not the villains, you know, no, they're, not, they're not, they're not the villains. And I wouldn't even say that they're, you know, quote unquote crazy. They're, mm -hmm. They are simply getting vengeance for all of this horrible wrong yeah. <laughs> that has been done to them. And, and 
and you know, I well, I wouldn't say that the mentally ill themselves are portrayed in like a a good light in the mm-hmm. movie. It, it does do better than previous <laughs> decades of horror films where you know the mentally ill person is the villain, like Michael Myers or something like that. Yeah. In, in this case, it's not. They they are they are this you know anger basically mm-hmm. at how they've been treated which you know i think is important so. yeah i think that that's one of the the cool kind of things that we get with this with all the horror and everything like that the you know the instigating event of all of this because it's the only evil event we know associated to the house it's not like there have been multiple murders after this house like pritchett who's um pritchett played by chris catton um, kind of a so good in this. He's so fucking good. I love him. He's an angry little chihuahua. Indeed. Yeah, but like he kind of alludes to there being other deaths on the premises and stuff like that. But really, it's it's this event with with Vonnegut that turns the house into the sanitarium of slaughter, which I fucking love that title. But that's our kickoff event. That's the most evil thing that's been done. And what I really like about it is the fact that I'm. It is kind of pointing out how shitty our medical system is to people who don't have people in their corner, ostensibly. You know, there's right. been a long oh, history oh, of... Oh, oh, the history yeah. of the way that we treated the mentally ill in this country is atrocious. It's atrocious. <laughs> like, like, and that's the thing, is, you know, it's stuff still like... still kind of is. Well, it's still kind of... I mean, it's better, but it's still pretty terrible. Yeah. But, I mean, like, the stuff that Vanekin's doing, I mean, that was real shit that happened, you know? Yep. Like, this is... This is fiction, but it's not that fictional, you know? So. <laughs> well, and I think it's interesting, too, that you bring up, you know, the the stained glass window potentially being what's kind of, like, causing him to go off the deep end because almost everything in that house got destroyed in the fire. Remember? It's the one thing that's left, it's yeah. the one thing that survives. And I do kind of like this idea that by um Price exploding it as his, like you know, introduction to this whole night being what really sets all this off. That's really kind of cool because he's ostensibly blowing their minds. Well, you have to also ask yourself, <laughs> did Price do that or did the house do that? Oh, I totally think it's Price. I, I mean, I totally <laughs> think it's not, you know, like <laughs> you just never know. But yes, you're right. Like if it was Price, that could have set things off, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I more see it as like, you know, the ghost just being really fucking pissed and they're about to get their vengeance now that everybody's there. Yeah. But but another cool thing about this house, again, you know, I what's been neat about this month is that haunted house stories really are almost always about the house being a central character itself and being mm-hmm. kind of, you know, very much representative of like the state of mind of everyone in the film. And, it, and, and this is no different because... You know, to me, in this film, you're dealing with a bunch of these characters who have sort of a dark side or a dark mm-hmm. past. And on the surface, they're sort of putting on a show. They're putting on a, yep. a nicer sort of appearance, right? Like a, a deceptive appearance. And, you know, you look at the house and the house is representative of that because the top part of the house, the rebuilt part, mm-hmm. you know, it's all shiny and new and nice and glamorous and whatever, and the minute you go kind of internally and into the basement and underneath the surface, it's just complete utter darkness and hell, right? And disgusting, and, gross, hasn't get, gotten repaired. Right, and it's where, like, the darkness hides and the ghosts are hiding and all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. so the house is very much, you know, sort of representative of that, where it's like, you know, we, we put on a show, essentially, but then we have this darker part of – this darker internal part of ourselves – and you could also look at it in a different way, too, where it's like the conscious versus the subconscious, mm-hmm. because this film is a lot about the mind as well. And so, 
you know, the conscious being like what you want yourself to be or how you view yourself. You view yourself as, you know, this this better person, so to speak. But underneath that, like, you know, there there are issues. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like they do a really good job of kind of highlighting that. I think to your point earlier, this movie does a really good job of bringing certain things to the light, but then it's expecting you to follow the threads. And I think that the best example of that is with some of our characters. Like you said, they're all hiding darker sides, and we kind of get that a little bit with their intros because – to begin with, all of these people are here because they're money hungry, because mm -hmm. they don't fucking know who this price character is, and they've shown up just with the promise of money, but every single one of them also has ulterior motives going on. They have other things going on. Um, like with, with Eddie, the only thing we get with him is that he alludes to the fact that he was a pro baseball player, but he's not anymore. And that's the only thing that we get. We never find out why Eddie's not playing baseball, but it's obviously not for a good reason. My favorite personally, though, is Melissa Marr, who's played by Bridget Wilson Sampras, because she used to be a TV star. She's the only one who's honest, really, about why she's there. Because she very upfront is like, I'm here to find my way to the top, whether that's by fucking or paying my way. Well, but see, the thing is, she she's honest about why she's there. Yep. I, I would argue that they all are. I mean, I don't mm -hmm. think any of them are hiding the fact that they're there for money. But but it, Blackburn's there for murder. Well, well, yes, Blackburn. Obviously, Blackburn is the yes, Chris. One of them is hiding <laughs> something. But 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 the but I mean, you know, they're all pretty upfront about the fact that they're there for greed. Mm -hmm. And I would say with Melissa, you know, yeah, you get the you get why she's there. But there's also a darkness to her of like, okay, well, what happened to her TV career? You know, yeah. like what happened there? And so, so they all have, and, and that's the thing is that all of these characters have something that they ha have sort of a history where like they were either more rich and famous or whatever, and are trying to get that back. Or in the case of, or in the case of Sarah, who is in impersonating her boss, mm -hmm. you know, she is a character who believes she deserves that wealth and yeah. that fame or whatever, you know? So, so there are all these characters that are either trying to get that back or are trying to attain it in the first place. And, you know, this house, like, all locking down and all that kind of stuff, it's almost sort of like that idea of being trapped in your mind with your own demons, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and the same thing applies to Vanekit in a sense where it's like if you look at Vanekit as having, you know, tortured all these people and and dying in this lockdown, like he also died in a sense locked in with his own demons because mm -hmm. all of those people represent the terrible things that he's done. Oh, he so, forcibly did that because he set the lock off. Lockdown. So so they all have like these inner demons and in these and this side of themselves that is dark. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and the other kind of interesting thing, too, here is that, you know, there's also sort of this theme of like sane versus insane kind of going on throughout this film. And I kind of like how, in a sense, the it's sort of twisted where like the people that we initially deem insane, you know, being the patients at the asylum, the people that we deem insane, I would call them the sane ones mm -hmm. because their actions more or less in the movie are sane in the sense that they want vengeance on Vanekit because yep. they don't want to be fucking tortured. Yep. That's, that's pretty sane reasoning to me. And, you know, I mean, you could argue that it's, it's a little, uh, you know, going a little too far maybe to go after the relatives, but, <laughs> <laughs> but we'll, we'll chalk, we'll chalk that up to, you know, being dead and, and influenced by the evil in the house. Right. Yeah. 
Um, but as for the characters themselves, you know, you could argue that all of them are on the opposite side of the spectrum, and they are insane because you mentioned it. Who the fuck? <laughs> who the fuck decide get, gets this random invitation in the mail? For some person they've never heard of oh. saying, hey, come to my birthday party and maybe win a million dollars. And you're like, what? You know, <laughs> who the hell actually accepts that invitation? I mean, nowadays you would think that that was just like a, a fucking scam, you know, to get yeah. money out of you somehow or maybe like a timeshare thing. Right. So the fact that these people all travel out to the middle of nowhere to this house that they've never been to to, to have a birthday with these people they never met, you know, and, and they question nothing really and they're just going out of greed. I mean, the, the essential thing here is that greed itself inherently is insanity. Mm -hmm. Greed is insanity. I mean, you look at just every human action in the history of society, <laughs> everything done out of greed to achieve wealth has in itself some form of insanity. Yeah. You know, whether it's like murder or, or just like that insane drive to be wealthy that you'll do anything to get it. Like, that is insanity. Yes. So. <laughs> well, I think to your point, we can kind of look at the, the Pritchard character because, you know, when we first meet him, he seems like the only, like, kind of unhinged one because he really fucking does not want to be there. He's for good reason. <laughs> yes, for good reason. He very much just wants to get what he's owed and no more. He doesn't want to stay for the million dollars. He doesn't want to stay in this house. He knows it's it's bad shit. Like, the fucking glass breaks. And almost, you know, injures a whole bunch of them. And they're all just like, nah, this is fine. Mm. And Pritchard is the only one who's just like, get me the fuck out of here. And I love him so much for that. Yeah, but I mean, Pritchett fits into this as well because mm -hmm. Pritchett's also there for greed. You mm -hmm. know, and, and the thing. But he never should have opened that house. Well, the thing that's different about Pritchard is that I, they don't really go into this in the film. You kind of got to listen to, like, the, the director talk about this, but. Because there are a lot of things that just couldn't fit in the shooting yeah. of the movie, but Pritchett did originally have more of a backstory, and it, so the thing with Pritchett, he's a little bit different, but it's still about money. You know, he's different in the sense that uh, he basically owns this house that he can't, you know, sell <laughs> essentially, and so he's kind of stuck paying the tax on it. And it's essentially, like, made him super poor. Like, that's not what's in the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, that's just according to the director, but. You know, so it's made him super poor, and he's basically living out of his car because he's not going to live in that fucking house. Fuck no. Uh, so, so you understand from Pritchett's point of view why he's going after the money, mm -hmm. but you can still make the argument that he, you know, it, he's his case still applies to the idea that greed itself is insanity because he is there for money, and he knows how dangerous this house is. Mm -hmm. And so, like... You know, if you if Pritchett were more sane, he would stay the fuck out of the house. Like yeah. he like if I were him, I would not even step through the door frame. You know, <laughs> I'd probably stand 10 feet outside <laughs> and just yell, give me my money. I, I would stand out there. I would wait for everybody to get acquainted. And then I'd be screaming like, yeah, hey, where's my fucking money? I'm getting out of here. You know, I would not step one foot into that house if I knew how dangerous it was as he does. But his own greed, his insanity you know, drives him to actually walk into that house and stick around <laughs> long enough for him to become trapped in there, right? Yeah. So, so I mean, to me, again, that's just the fascinating element of it is that, you know, we're in this place that used to be an asylum, but it's the people that deem themselves sane that are truly the insane ones. Yeah. 
because they are doing all of this dangerous, <laughs> wacky, stupid shit for money. For money. <laughs> yeah, which I they're fucking saying. I have to say this is. I love this house for how vindictive it is because I think this is the only other house this month that ostensibly makes outside calls. Because you know, <laughs> we, we could make the, the argument that the haunting did that, called Eleanor. Sure. Um, but this is the only one that this bitch is so like tuned into when people are talking about her that she knows that someone's planning a party and not only that, but goes through the goddamn internet to like change the guest list so that she can tie up her loose ends and I think it's hilarious that the, that the house is so into all of that and still misses the fucking mark because at least three of the people who show up are not the people they, the house wants. Well, that's not the house's fault. It's not the house's fault. I mean, the, ho- the house sent the invitation. That's all it can do. It can't actually force, you know, Sarah's boss to come. So That's true, <laughs> but it at least could have looked up that Eddie's adopted. The house, I mean, but see, you, you misinterpret that the house gives a shit. The house That's doesn't true. give a shit. Oh, oh, the house I, doesn't care if he's adopted. I'm well aware. Pritchett, <laughs> he's still part of the family. Yeah, Pritchett points out that this house has no morals because it's yeah, a house. Exactly. Like, I don't, I don't even know what you're talking about anymore. Like, who cares if the house invited, you know, Eddie? It doesn't give a fuck if he's adopted. It wants the house's vengeance. You know, mm-hmm. the house is pure vengeance. And, you know, and again, like, in the... In the, I mean, it is evil. <laughs> you know, like like the the people that died out mm-hmm. of vengeance are one thing, but the house itself, the darkness of everything that it collects, like th- this house is a collection of all of the pain and grief and anger. Yeah, you know that happened inside of it, and so and, and it also, you know, I think uh, manipulates people into being that. Like, I think everyone in the film is a little bit more unhinged being in the house mm-hmm. as opposed to being outside of it you know like i just think it has this influence on people but but yeah no it doesn't give a fuck if Eddie was adopted <laughs> it just wants to murder you know it just if you were part of that family <laughs> it wants to murder you now the thing about that is the, where one of the potholes comes in is you know you could maybe question well okay if the ghosts remade the list how the hell did blackburn end up on the invitation list and you could mm-hmm. say okay well evelyn probably Still got him an invite somehow, but she clearly didn't add his name to that list because she would have seen it wasn't her guest list. Um, but then, you know, the thing, the thing that I think you can point out, too, is like, how the fuck do none of these people know that they have any relation to the staff from this house? Like, the, the whole event happened in the 30s, mm-hmm. you know, and in, in human time... <laughs> 60 years is not really that long ago, you no, know, like still be grandparents. Well, exactly. <laughs> like, you know, so, so, I mean, look, we all have like long lost cousins and shit like that, but are you telling me that every single one of these people did not know their grandparents? Like, you know, I mean, so, so it's just, it's just that kind of thing. Like you didn't know about your grandma, your, your parents never told you this story about like how your parents <laughs> survived this fucking massacre at an asylum. Like, like, how do you not know, especially in the age of the internet, you know, how do you not know that I mean, you're related to anyone? To be fair with this, I would have to say that if I was one of these people who, like, escaped, these weren't patients that escaped. These were people who, like, helped with the torture. I would not tell anyone that I worked at, it, at the sanitarium of slaughter. Not, but it's not like people don't know. <laughs> I mean, for fuck's sake, the movie opens with Femka walking, watching a documentary about it. And you she's know? related to one of the people. No, she isn't. Price is. No, she is too. 
because her her first or her uh, maiden last name is like Stockhold or something like that. Who's also one of the people, so she's also related. Okay, well, I think you could also make a case too. And now, this is, sorry everyone, this is going off the rails, but I think you could also <laughs> make a case too that the the ghost potentially you know made up that whole documentary for her to watch (laughs) so it doesn't even exist they just put it on for femka yeah it might not even exist and they just put it on the tv while she was taking a bath so you know because they're manipulating her into having her birthday there so i mean to be fair they've already proven that they can go through the internet and rewrite a guest list why not create a television show right they totally could so okay i love that but look regardless regardless of all that the, the point is like you know there's no way that you don't know. Like, yes. There, like, there's just no way that you don't know that you're a family member of yours survived this infamous massacre, <laughs> you know, from, from 30 years ago or from 60 years ago, right? Like, it's really not that long ago. So, um, but okay, speaking of FAMCA, you know, I do want to talk about her and Price's relationship because, you know, first of all, I, I love these two. Mm-hmm. I, I think that Jeffrey Rush and FAMCA just work so well yes. against each other like their chemistry is so good <laughs> i i mean you know there's countless lines that are just like <laughs> they relish in them so much that mm-hmm. like you know to me they make the movie and it's interesting because even though sarah and eddie are kind of like our final girl and final boy right mm-hmm. um I-, I consider i consider uh the prices to be our main characters of the movie. Oh, absolutely. You know, like to me, it's their story. It's not really anybody else's story. Like Sarah and Eddie are just lucky enough to survive. Like, <laughs> Pretty uh, much. But, but to me, to me, it's these characters story because mm-hmm. everything that is going on in this house, I think is reflective of that relationship. Yes. You know? So like, for example, you know, I, I almost feel like aside from the other themes, I mean, there's a lot going on in this movie under the surface, but they're, I also sort of get a sense of like that kind of concept of how marriage and relationships are kind of a game in a sense, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like the bad ones, at least like yes. the really, the really toxic marriages, they, they are sort of like this cruel game. And, mm. and, you know, that's what price sort of makes his living on mm-hmm. is the, is these cruel games. Essentially that's what his theme parks are. You know, I mean, to be fair, I would love to go to one of his themes. I would hate it because that sounds like a death trap waiting to happen. Oh, like, absolutely. <laughs> you're going to be so fucked up by the end of it. Well, it's not even that you're going to be fucked up. I mean, the whole roller coaster stunt, like, there's so many ways I could easily go around and murder people. <laughs> but <laughs> um, not to mention, it makes no sense. Like, where the fuck does the other roller coaster with the dummies go? Who cares? It's a movie. I care. I want to. <laughs> this is the one time that you're practical about a movie. <laughs> Like, well, because every time I see that, I'm like, where does it go? How the fuck do they make money off this park? They must be spending, like, billions a day on this park. But anyway, you know, it's a game. And, and these two – and that that is, like, one of the central themes of House on Haunted Hill is sort of this game of marriage and deception and all that kind of stuff and lies where these are two characters who are married and are constantly deceiving and lying to each other, you know? Like, mm-hmm. they cannot tell the truth. They hate each other. And – Price is playing one game where he is, you know, creating all these different effects and everything like that. And Femka's playing another game where she's trying to set up, you know, his murder. Uh, I really don't understand, like, how these two got together in the first place. Just because by the time we've met them, they are so fucking I do. She's hot and he has money. (laughs) It's pretty easy. It's pretty simple, Chris. That's basically how... Every billionaire relationship works. Like <laughs> I, for, I forget that sometimes. All right, I well because you look at look at every almost every single billionaire man alive. It's basically some rich dude who inherited money, 
and then married a hot chick who hates him but married him for money. (laughs) Okay, fair point. I think the only reason why I feel like at some point in time there is a little bit more to their relationship, some maybe like kernel of truth of caring about each other, is because of that end scene right before it all really goes to shit. Mm. Like, while Price is beating the shit out of his wife for trying to set up his murder, you know, he tosses her through the door into the darkness, and it's interesting because that moment that he, she goes through the door is the one moment in this entire movie where the two of them actually seem to care about each other. Like, it feels like all of the pretenses, all the games, all that shit is, is dropped because he's trying to get her out and she's looking to him for genuine help. So I feel like at some point in time there is something there and now it's gone because she has tried to murder well, him so many times. Well, sure, there was probably something there. I mean, mm. you know, it, it all starts somewhere and mm. even if it's a confused love or not a real love, you know, it's still there still has to be some kind of love for you to marry <laughs> someone, right? Like, or at least you hope so. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I also think that that's part of the point is that, you know, the reason the two of them suffer is because they're not willing to work through their issues, you know? Or let like, go. Or or let go, either. Because that's the other thing, is that, you know, they're clearly not meant for each other, really, but they're hanging on, and like every other character, they're hanging on out of greed. Yep. You know, they're hanging... Because I, I have to imagine neither of them wants to split up because of the, the, the cut in money that they would both experience, <laughs> you know? So... So, like, they're, they're both hanging on for this greed. Again, pointing to the idea of I- insanity in greed, right? Yeah. And, you know, there's actually a scene at the end of the credits that is just the video camera rolling of the two of them being experimented on by the the patients in black mm-hmm. and white. And they're, like, cutting them open together and everything. Very gruesome and grim. Like, it's kind of, you know, mo- most cutscenes of the end of horror movies are, like, kind of fun and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and this one is just very grim. Like, I, <laughs> I don't recommend that being the last thing you see to walk out of the movie. Because <laughs> you just, just kind of a little unsettled. Yeah, because you just kind of walk out like, well, that was super dark and now I'm going to have nightmares. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, but I think that's the point. That's part of the message the movie is trying to say is that, is that, greed will get you nowhere or or it'll get you under the knife of people that hate you (laughs) (laughs) and that you know it ultimately destroys you just the same way that destroyed each of them Mm -hmm. they could have easily split and went on with their lives or whatever if they truly hated each other that much and they didn't you know and i mean that's part of the thing of it is that in this case like their marriage has driven each of them mad and, and I kind of like the the symbolism of that with 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 Stephen being trapped in the I don't even know what to call it I don't remember what it's called the the deprivation tank or whatever oh, the, yeah. the the chamber like mm-hmm. to me to me that just reminds me of the idea of being trapped in this marriage that's that's just going around in circles and going nowhere and, and you keep you know doing the same thing over and over again and expecting something to change right like yeah. that um like he kind of reminds me of that and it's this idea that like being trapped in this sort of circular motion with it is part of what's driven him insane as well as her. Mm -hmm. I mean, I definitely agree with you that this, the whole thing has gotten so toxic and I feel like it makes sense that it all ends, it all comes to, you know, its head in, you know, this haunted house that is all about the insanity and the darkness within people. Well, and I want to quickly add to that, you know, the whole line of what would drive a sane man mad would drive a madman sane mm-hmm. and, and to me it's the the toxic marriage is what drives the same man mad <laughs> <You know? laughs> but no well that's the thing too is so so this darkness you know 
going aside from any kind of Lovecraftian lore that might be applied to it, you know, I sort of also see it as sort of kind of symbolic of like the idea of the darkness of a an unhealthy household, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, because if you think about it in a sense, like all of the characters that have come here, you know, you could apply that differently to where it's like, you know, imagine them as family members of these two or friends of these two. Like, we've all, I think, probably experienced that either being either being the toxic couple or being the outside of it, the friends of the toxic couple. Having to watch that and, shit. And having to watch it. Like, we've all, I think, been there in one way or another where it's like it doesn't just apply to the couple, you know, that that seeks out with all of its tendrils you know, and kind of touches everybody, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how I view this whole scenario here is that the toxicity, the darkness of the relationship between these two it has built up and is kind of reaching out to touch and destroy everybody else, right? Yeah. And 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 just being in a house, I mean, it's perfect because it's the domestic domain, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like when my parents were getting split up, like it kind of feels like this, right? Like just this darkness that is kind of seeping all throughout everybody. And even if you're not directly causing it, it still affects you. Yeah. It's it's almost like a black hole, just drawing everything within a close radius into it. Yeah, um, exactly. You know, Which is pretty much what this darkness does. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things, one of the things I have to question, and I'm kind of curious on your take with it, with the darkness in the house, is, you know, you say that you think that the the house is what drives people mad and, like, you know, escalated Vonnegut to, like, do the insane experiments. I'm kind of wondering if it's the other way around where Vonnegut's insanity is what infected the house and created the darkness. No, not my opinion. Like, the because, because again, I think that, especially if the director's an interpretation of it all was that it is kind of a, a Lovecraftian mythos in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, I think that, again, I think that Dr. Vonnegut was a person who's on the edge or who has already inherent evil in him. Mm-hmm. And it, this house pretty much just influenced that to the nth degree, you know, because that's the thing is the evil is the house. The evil's yeah. not Vonnegut. The, e- the evil is the house itself. Mm-hmm. And I think the evil has come into the house itself, maybe from that, you know, Middle Ages portrait or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's all seeped into the bones of the house, basically. I just want to point out that Vonnegut's the one who put that portrait up there. He's what brought it into the house. He's what brought it into the house, but maybe so the maybe por- he's the high priest but of maybe, the Lovecraft. No, but maybe the portrait <laughs> influenced him into... Ah into sort of like drawing his attachment to it Mm -hmm. and so then he put it in the hospital you know it's it's that kind of thing i mean look the the way to think about this is that when it comes to like great lovecraftian evil Mm -hmm. and people (laughs) people are not the influencers in lovecraft stories it's all it's the evil yeah and i know this isn't per se a lovecraft story but the fact of the matter is is that Every essentially everyone has some sort of inherent evil in them. Mm-hmm. We we all have a darkness, and if you're saying that you don't, you're you're lying just, to yourself. You're lying to yourself. You know, we all have a darkness, and then there are these forces. You know, if you believe in this shit, there are these forces outside of that that influence that, right? Mm-hmm. So so no, I don't think that Vonnegut is what caused the darkness in the house. I think that he was influenced by it and enhanced it. 
So, and basically I, gave it life. I only had to bring it up because the creator of the house survived and was not murdered by the house. And all the murdery stuff happened after The Vonnegut creator of the show. house did die. No, Pritchett's, Pritchett's grandfather built the house and he died in retirement in Florida. The house didn't eat him. Pritchett, first of all, flat out says that he lies. <laughs> he flat out says that he lied about the history of the house. He only lied and about the house all, not being alive. And second of all, we learned that the house is not limited to the space of the house itself. It travels outside of that. So there's so the house traveled to Florida and killed an old man in his retirement. Maybe it did. I don't fucking know. <laughs> I, I'm just saying, like, I think it's pretty clear that Pritchett's relatives all died from being attached to the house as well. So. Okay, fair enough. I just, I had to be, I don't know, devil, devil's advocate or whatever in this situation. No, they, they all died being attached to the house and, and he lied again uh, because, you know, the director even says, like, that the, uh, you know, another part of the backstory that's not included in the movie is that the whole bricking up of the darkness mm-hmm. was done by his father, and he didn't finish because he died while trying to brick it up, so. <laughs> oh, we, we know he died. So, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't even know what your point is about the guy who built the house not dying at the house. It, it killed him. <laughs> darkness came after. That was my only point. I'm darkness <laughs> didn't come after, though. The darkness <laughs> was there before because the guy that built the house built it on top of the asylum that was built beforehand. So the darkness was already there, Chris. <laughs> Fair. The one thing I do, all of this aside, the one thing that I do think is really cool as we're talking about the darkness and the fact that this is a representation of like the darkness in people's souls is how this movie represents the darkness. It's not just a shadow. You know, it's not just a creepy eldritch being. It is a kaleidoscope of people. Like, when you actually look at it, it is a constantly flowing image of naked people and the patients and all that kind of stuff. And I think that that's really cool. And that's what makes this darkness so much more unique than what we see in other movies. It's a shapeshifter. Yeah. Well, and it's the fact that it gathers everybody up and that darkness, even like the evils within people, aren't simple black and white. Like, greed is a multifaceted thing. Like, you know, like, Femke's not just willing to, like, kill her husband. She's dragging all of these other people in it. And that's what I think is so cool about how the darkness is represented in this movie. Right. Well, I mean, I also like that it's uh, a Rorschach symbol, basically. Which, yeah. which you know, I, I will say the darkness itself is pretty corny, and it <gasps> definitely... <laughs> I like it. No, it's pretty... It's got co- naked ladies in it. Who cares? It's It's pretty corny, and it's not... It's not, you know, I think it's probably done as best as it could be for CGI at the time, uh, but it doesn't look good. You know? uh, no, I, I, I do agree with people who say that the film kind of falls apart a little bit in the third act because uh, it does go complete corny camp, which, mm-hmm. you know, which is, which is fine, depending, you know, on what you want out of the movie. But no, I like that. And I like that it has the death of corrosion sort of thing to it, because, again, mm-hmm. To me, that's the toxicity of marriage thing, you know, like marriage is a slowly, well, a toxic marriage is a slowly corrosive thing, right? That just slowly corrodes the people in it and whatnot. <laughs> I'm so, glad you changed that to toxic marriage, not yeah, no, just it's, marriage. It's always funny to talk about the stuff when you're <laughs> with your wife. Um, <laughs> but but no, and, and it's slowly, you know, corroding them and everyone around it. So, mm-hmm. I, so I do think that a lot of that's pretty fun. But, you know, but yeah, no, I, I think that this whole ending, this whole third act... <laughs> uh is silly to say the least you know and and it's kind of it's unfortunate because i do think that the first two-thirds of the film 
are, are really fun and creepy. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it does have a really good creep factor to it for a, for a good part of the way. You know, like, again, like, the whole disappearance of Melissa into the walls of the house. Like, that scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. Like, mm-hmm. that that really creeps me the fuck out, you know? <laughs> and, and, and just the whole, like, uh, back and forth twistiness of, you know, who's trying to kill who. Like, all that's really fun. But then the second that you know, the Rorschach darkness, like, breaks out of the house. It's like, then it just becomes totally goofy. Yes. Uh, Which, again, I like my goofy horror, but I do think it could have been more successful had it kind of stuck with a little bit more of that creepy factor. You know, like, the original House on Haunted Hill Mm -hmm. stays scary right right up until the last image, so. Yeah, but that's because you got Vincent Price, and you got to keep it classy with him. I mean, sure, but you could also argue that you got to keep it classy with Jeffrey Rush. Jeffrey Rush was a classy actor before this. So. Even classy actors need, deserve to face off against a monster at the end of the hallway. I love that monster mouth. The monster mouth is great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the ending's not strong. It's not strong. I, yeah. And, you know, I, I, I do think the original ending that they shot was probably a little bit better because, you know, the, the ending that we get has has Eddie trapped in the house and screaming that he was adopted, which that's fine. <laughs> but then, like, Ghost Pritchett comes out and, like, raises the... I love Ghost Pritchett! Ghost Pritchett is so stupid. Like <laughs> He's not giving in to the darkness. I mean, you, you can't even recognize that it is Pritchett, really. And so, like, every time I've watched this movie, I used to think that it was, like... Eddie's ghost dad, like his, like his, like his adopted ghost dad, like How do you came. You not in. recognize it's Pritchett. It's so obviously Pritchett. It's not obviously Pritchett. It's it's a wanky, <laughs> fuzzy ghost image. Like it's not obviously Pritchett. I always thought it was his ghost dad or something. That, you know, coming in last minute to save him. Either way, it's a total Deus Ex Machina piece of bullshit. You know, like <laughs> like it, it's the corniest thing you could do in a ghost film and. So, so no, I don't like that ending. I like the original, which is, it, it basically has Sarah, like, find something on the outside that she uses to pry the door open to save Eddie, mm-hmm. which, I mean, you know, neither is perfect, but I think that's less <laughs> corny. <laughs> and, and also, they were going to include this uh, this shot of uh, Sarah's actual boss, Jennifer or whatever, they were going to include her basically inheriting the house at the end. And the real estate agent showing her around was going to be Dr. Vanigan, played by Jeffrey Combs. Oh, that sounds amazing. That, yeah, that sounds super cool. I guess they cut it out because they also cut out the scene of Sarah having a fight with her boss in the beginning because it kind of interrupted the flow of the movie. Mm-hmm. So they were like, oh, people won't know who this is. So they cut it out, which I get. But that's yeah. I still like that. But, but no, th- this actual ending, it just feels so rushed, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm never a fan of the endings in horror films where where you they have miraculously survive no, no 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 i mean that too but i'm not i'm not an ending of of the ho- i'm not a fan of the horror films with the endings where you have a whole group of people still left alive and then like a bunch of people all die at once like <laughs> you know because basically melissa's really our only kill up until like the last 15 minutes or 20 minutes of the movie and then everyone Every- fucking dies everyone you know does. Uh, i kind of i kind of like the progression the progressive <laughs> like you know one by one they're they're picked off so <laughs> This is all just very, like, chaotic and, <laughs> and this fucking goofy Rorschach <laughs> floating around. <laughs> like, I'm weirdly okay with all of that because I guess for me, a lot of the movie feels a little bit more, like, high energy and chaotic. And so the fact that almost everybody gets picked off, like, super quick at the end, I think the only thing... It that, fits. It's yeah. just not as satisfying. <laughs> and the only thing that kind of bugs me with it is mostly your deaths at the end, with the exception of Blackburn, both Pritchett's and Price's are, are self-sacrificing. 
um, deaths, which, like, one is fine, but considering that the last two deaths are both, like, almost accidental self-sacrificing, I'm not as big of a fan. I do love the fact, though, that the house honors the bet and gives them the money. It sure does. <laughs> and, and for people that don't notice that, because it happens really quick, when, when Price's body does explode in the dust, you do see the check fly out of it. Oh, shit, I never noticed. Which, again, makes no sense, because <laughs> all of his clothes and everything uh, burst into ash, so why wouldn't the check... Also, but <laughs> but no, but as far as the self-sacrificing thing, I mean, you know, regardless of whatever parts of the ending don't work, that kind of does at least because, again, it fits thematically because the whole one of the other things that the characters are essentially supposed to learn at the end of this movie is that greed is not everything, right? Money's mm-hmm. not everything. And you do have things like, you know, Eddie at one point says, what good is a million dollars if you're not, if you're dead, right? You know, essentially implying like, Living your life is more valuable than money itself, you know? Mm-hmm. The people that say money doesn't buy happiness are bullshitters because money absolutely makes life yes, better. Yes, it does. But, but the other thing, the other side of that is that, you know, money is also not everything. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so you have that, and then you also have Evelyn saying, trust me, I've been dead for years, you know, essentially implying for her that wealth has not made her more alive either. It's mm-hmm. only had the opposite effect. So, so they're kind of supposed to learn that, and I would, you could argue that maybe Price finally does a little bit, you know, sort of understand that in a sense because he's willing to put himself forward, you know, he's willing to sacrifice himself instead of putting himself first, yeah. which is what greed is really all about. But then, you know, you still have the end where the characters, <laughs> like, get money. So, yeah. it's, so it's still, so it's a little, you know, uh, contradicting in that sense. Yeah. But I like the idea that it's the house going, my bad, you're not actually blood related to these people. You survived, so here's some money to make up for it. So yeah, it's, I, it's like rich people paying people off. Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe, you know, if you consider the, the darkness to be mostly made of the patients, maybe they're just like, oops, our mistake, you know, and <laughs> here's, a, here's $5 million. <laughs> you got out, here you go, let's just never speak of this again. Right, but then I imagine that one of the two of them, you know, they're both still greedy people, so then I imagine one of the two of them is like, oops, and they like push the other one off the balcony so that they get the whole $5 million. <laughs> I mean, Sarah does ask, how are they going to get down from there? Right. Well, Pritchett mentions at some point in the movie that, like, the cleaning crew is coming in at 9 a.m., so you can sort of assume maybe that's out. But, but they're on the seaside of the house. I didn't say they're going to find them there. I'm just saying that <laughs> They're going to find some corpses. I'm just saying that if you want to imagine how they got down, that's probably house. <laughs> Fair enough. But all right, we do have to start wrapping up as much as I'd love to keep talking about this movie, so... Who is your killer idiot of House on Haunted Hill? Uh, that's fucking Pritchard. Like, he's the one who knows the house best. He never should have gone inside. He should have just, like we said, waited at the goddamn door. And if it locks down, fuck it. He can always get the money in the morning. Yeah, no, that was that's mine too. Because, again, like, if you know for a fact <laughs> that a house is supernaturally evil and alive, uh, I would maybe not go into that house yep. for a paycheck. Yep. <laughs> you know, people always say, you can't pay me enough to do this. And that would be one of those things you could not pay me enough to do. So yep. <laughs> what about your killer death? Uh, so me personally, I really like Blackburn's death. I don't think it's the most like, you know, iconic or anything. But for me, that's like the changing point in the movie that's realizing how far on Femke's character is willing to go to do this shit. So like, again, it's not like a huge moment, but also like he touches her when she's unconscious. So I'm kind of glad he got stabbed. Well, nobody said he was a good guy, Chris. Nope. Um, <laughs> my, 
Mine's going to be Melissa because, again, I think she's got the creepiest death in the movie. Yeah. Like, I love her just being taken by the ghosts. And then you only find out later that she was dragged into the walls of the house. Like, I, that's so fucking cool. Yes. Like, I, I love that image of the bloodstain going up the wall and then just disappearing into the house. And then we find uh, her corpse later. Right. And, and she's really the only one who, you know, is killed by the quote-unquote ghosts until the darkness in the end. So, yeah. <laughs> what about your killer MVP? I think we know it's Pritchard. I fucking, I fucking love this little dude. He's just so angry and like trying to puff himself up by going, "I want my money, goddammit, it!" But his voice yeah. breaks. Yeah, no, Chris Kattan's hilarious. Like he's a really yeah. good comedian, and I, I love it when comedians like him do horror movies because they're always really fun in them. And he also is like, uh, I would consider him to be one of, if not the best. We're all gonna die, guys. <laughs> from the 90s like the 90s particularly were really heavy on the we're all gonna die characters mm -hmm. like you know i remember specifically one from alien resurrection as well that this character that they find randomly you know they're always these characters who who know what's happening they know everybody's <laughs> fucked and they know everyone's gonna die and they say so and it, it was a big thing in the 90s for some reason there was always that character that's like we're all gonna fucking die and and Pritchett to me is one of the best of them just because he's so fucking hysterical from Catan. So um so no, I, I chose Jeffrey Rush though because I, I just think that, you know, as the kids say, he ate in this movie. Like he <laughs> like he, he just is such a fucking scumbag version of Vincent Price, even mm -hmm. though that's not who he was channeling apparently, <laughs> but but he is just such a perfect scumbag version of Price that and, and you can tell, like he is just relishing in every bit of dialogue in this <laughs> film and he just plays it so well that like so good. i i just love rush in this movie you know Th this movie made made me want to see rush in like every horror movie after this so <laughs> um because we we don't have a lot of actors now that are on that level of like vincent price you know like that that penultimate creepy actor yeah that that appears in movies like this and i thought rush could have continued to do stuff like this but he didn't so um but but no, I love him in this. So anyway, uh, on Twitter every week at Killer Critics, we always put up a poll, kind of getting your thoughts and feelings on the film and what you think of it. So between love it, it's fine, don't like it, and never seen it, where do you think the audience fell on House on a Haunted Hill? I think we're, I think it's it's fine because it's a fun movie, but incorrect. So <gasps> so love it just barely won out with forty point six percent. I'm okay with that. Uh, it's fine got thirty nine point eight percent. Don't like it was nine point four percent, and never seen it was ten point two percent. So that's about where I imagine this would right. fall. You know, pretty much between that love it and it's okay category. You know, it's it's to me it's kind of a hard movie to hate because it is just so fun. Even right? though it's not, you can certainly question the <laughs> how good it is, <laughs> uh, but it is a fun movie. So uh, we always get comments from you all as well. So these are all from Twitter. Uh, first up is at United Rhinos 72. So that's United Rhinos and then the numbers 72. And they say, I really enjoyed it. Saw it at the cinema on opening night. Not perfect by any stretch, but lots of fun. Good gore effects. And Jeffrey Rutch and Famke Jensen were both great and chewed the scenery admirably. <laughs> I think that, you know, from this episode, we absolutely agree with you on all of that. Because those two are amazing. And I'm very jealous that you got to see this on the big screen. Yeah. Well, well I did it as well. And it was <gasps> super fun. Um, <laughs> I came to but, horror a little late. Yes, you did. Uh, but as I said, they, they ate. <laughs> they, they ate the fuck out of this movie. They left with full stomachs because <laughs> um, they because <laughs> they're both just so fucking good in this 
so thank you at United Rhino seventy two for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, next up is a comment from at the film maestro. So that's the film maestro, and they say my mom took me to see this in nineteen ninety nine when I was seven. The shaky ghost plus the saturation chamber scene scarred me for the longest time. I literally couldn't watch it again. This year, I saw it for the first time since and had a lot of fun. I still think it's really scary. Catan equals the MVP. I'm glad you agree with me on Catan because he is amazing. He does deserve the MVP. Yeah. Um, I cannot imagine seeing this movie at seven. I would also be scarred. Uh, I mean, I didn't see it at seven. I was probably like, oh, I don't know, 12 or something at the time. But mm-hmm. yeah, no, it creeped me out. It, it, it did the job. I mean, again, the whole disappearing to the walls thing I thought was super fucking intense mm-hmm. as a kid. <laughs> um but but no i i do really think that the movie has some very effective scares yeah which again is why i'm like it, it's too bad that it doesn't kind of retain <laughs> the creepiness through the third act you know <laughs> so, uh, but it is very effective so anyway thank you at the film my show for the comment appreciate it uh next up is a comment from at real feels pod so that's r-e-e-l feels pod and they say absolutely one of my favorite horror films rush embodies price so well it's creepy, funny, and clever use of art for set pieces with the bodies. Plus, Jeffrey Combs' Vanneket just makes me smile. Plus, the use of shaky ghost head movement fucked me up as a kid. Love it. Yeah, I feel like that's something we didn't really talk about too much with this episode, but the way that they portray the ghost with like their jerky movement and the shaky heads is really cool and really gets under your skin. I think that's one of like the creep factors of this film that I love. Yeah, this, this was a really popularized way to portray ghosts at the time was just the the fast moving you know where they like cut pieces of the frame out so that they jump at you and everything and mm-hmm. and the creepy like shaking heads you know i forgot to mention during the 13 ghosts episode why i thought the editing was the way it was so i'm gonna really quickly say that it's because i viewed the ghosts as like memories right mm-hmm. so i kind of viewed them as like cutting in and out of the frame kind of the way memories are where they pop in and out of your head mm-hmm. uh, i never got to say that so i want to say that because <laughs> i forgot and i i on that episode i said we're gonna get into that later and then i never did um but in this case yeah no i, I think it's a really creepy effect and the mm-hmm. thing that i like about it is it also is almost sort of like a rorschach symbol in a sense where mm-hmm. it's like the the quick movement of the head almost creates the sort of image where you start to see something different than what's there right yeah um, and it also kind of applies to that sort of, you know, uh, derangement sort of thing going on here as part of the theme. So, mm-hmm. so no, I, I think the ghosts look great and I could not agree more. It's a really fun film and, um, uh, and Jeffrey Combs' Vanneket is awesome. I, I really wish Jeffrey had gotten to do more, you know, more big horror films like this that were in theaters. So, <laughs> uh, so thank you at Real Feels Pod for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, next up is a comment from at Ba Film Shaw. So that's B-A-H Film s-h-a-w and they say i love it although it's not really a great movie it's just a lot of fun and has some solid creepy moments very entertaining halloween watch that's for sure yeah absolutely agree and this is what i love about horror is is this a good movie no it's not but it's so much fucking fun and that's what's cool about you know this film and a lot of other horror films we have really great horror films that make us think and we have shit like this that we can just get fucking drunk to and it's awesome Right, exactly. I mean, this is the kind of horror that I mostly grew up on, you know, just mm-hmm. this really fun shit like this. And so, so no, I, I'm with you. Like I said, it's not a quote-unquote great movie per se, <laughs> but it is a lot of fun, and, and it's very entertaining. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's all I really care about the most. And then if it's actually a quote-unquote good film, you know, that's just the icing on the cake. Yeah, so. <laughs> bonus Jonas. 
Uh, so thank you at Ba Film Shaw for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, and then last up is a comment from at Half Horror. So that's Half Horror. And they say the original had quite a few story logic problems. The remake fixed absolutely none of them and added a host of brand new, even more obvious ones. Thank goodness for the amazing cast, all of whom are camping it up beautifully. <laughs> I love that summary so much because it is very accurate. Yeah. Yes, this one fixes nothing and creates more problems. Yeah, no, 100%. <laughs> the, the original makes much more sense, despite the fact that a lot of it makes no sense. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and this one, like I said to open the episode, has so many questions that you could ask about the movie. <laughs> And the movie just kind of asks you to, hey, look over here and ignore that. So, <laughs> um, definitely not a film that you could say is uh, well-paved, lots of plot holes. Uh, so, no, I totally agree with that. And, they, and yes, the cast is the highlight of the movie. Yep. They got the perfect cast for this film. Uh, so, shout out to the casting department because they nailed it. Yep. Uh, but thank you, at Half Horror, for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, so, as always, to wrap up the month, we also have our ranking of everything we've talked about this month. And, again, these are just our favorites and not particularly ranking by the quality of the movies. <laughs> <laughs> so, this month, we've talked about House on a Haunted Hill, uh, 13 Ghosts, Crimson Peak, The Haunting. So, how do you rank what we've discussed this month? <laughs> so, I had a really tough time this month. I did not at all. <laughs> okay. Um, so for me, as much as it pains me, number four was House on Haunted Hill. You asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I love this film, but number three was The Haunting. And while I think I like House on Haunted Hill better, The Haunting has nostalgia attached for me. That's fair. So, nostalgia is a very powerful thing. <laughs> yep. Uh, number two is 13 Ghosts because the ghosts are so fucking cool. I can't get beyond that. Uh. And obviously number one is Crimson Peak. It, Guillermo del Toro is pretty much always going to win. Yeah, our list is totally different here. Uh, so I have <laughs> I have The Haunting last. That's now, fair. Now, The Haunting, I think, has, again, has beautiful production design mm -hmm. uh, and, and has its own things that work for it. I, I just think that it's not a particularly well-paced movie, for it's, one. It's the weakest. Uh, it's the weakest, story-wise, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm not going to fight um, you. But, but I like it. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's last. Uh, 13 Ghosts is next. I think the ghosts look incredible. It's a fun movie. It's also a huge mess and painful <laughs> to watch for me. I cannot stand the editing, even though I do have my theory, like I mentioned, on why it is that way. Mm -hmm. um, Crimson Peak is, <gasps> is second. You uh, blasphemer. Well, here's the thing. Crimson Peak, I think, is beautiful. Mm -hmm. The production design is incredible. Yeah. Uh, the acting is very good. The costuming's great. Um, but, you know, the, the story for me is fine. Uh, and so, <laughs> so, so it gets just a little bit like lower. And again, you know, we're talking about favorites here yeah. and not the quality. Like if we were talking quality, Crimson Peak wins and by a mile, like Crimson Peak is by far the most well-made movie of the bunch. Uh, House on Haunted Hill wins for me though, just because it's the most entertaining. That's fair. Like, I, I, I have a lot of fun with this movie. I can put it on any time. I have my nostalgia thing with it as well. Cause I saw it when I was a kid and it, you know, so that wins for me, but but I think that they all have their their qualities, right? Mm -hmm. So so that's gonna do it for our, our month long theme of home sweet haunted houses. So as far as new releases go this week, uh, just a quick few to mention. Uh, so first up is Run Sweetheart Run, which is now available on Prime. Uh, that was Ed's, and that's basically about a a woman who goes on sort of a blind date. It's supposed to be a business dinner that turns into a blind date. And, uh, and she discovers that the man is not quite all that he seems. 
and it turns into him basically hunting her through the city, and it's got supernatural stuff involved with it and everything. Uh, really fun film. I, I think Chris and I both had a pretty good time with yeah. this one. A uh, lot of great style as well, yeah. uh, and very, very satisfying. Very satisfying <laughs> movie. So, so you can check that out on Prime. Uh, also out this week is Satan's Slave Communion. So this is the new film from Joko Anwar, the sequel to his Satan's Slaves film. And this is on Shudder, and it's basically a continuation of the story from the first film that now finds our heroine, I forget her name, uh, living in this apartment building. And, oh my god, is it scary. This is one <laughs> of the scarier films of the year. I really, really dug it. It's basically, you know, Anwar turns an apartment building into like a towering, you know, house of terror, and it uh. just... <laughs> um, it. it I, I want to say that it reminds me of something like Fulci's From Beyond or something like that. It's not quite like that. You know, it's very much not an Italian horror film, but it has sort of that similarity of this building that it just becomes complete and utter hell uh, for everyone living there. So highly recommend that. I really dug it. And then lastly is a film called Deep Fear, which is now on Screenbox. Uh, and this is basically about a group of characters who go to explore the Paris catacombs and discover some awful terror beneath it. Uh, this one I like. It, it kind of... I, I think it mishandles the juggling of the different genres within it because for the first half, it's kind of like this claustrophobic sort of creepy movie, and the other half, it kind of becomes like an old-school creature feature. So, so it's, it's an interesting film. It's fun. I enjoyed it. It just isn't quite nail it you know mm -hmm. uh but so that's on Screenbox, which i do recommend getting that also has both terrifier films on it now as well that you can check out uh go terrifier 2 killing it at the box office <laughs> uh, so that's gonna do it for us so i'm matt and i'm chris and have a great night horror fans bye i hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of killer horror critic if you'd like to scream with us some more please subscribe on itunes and follow us on Twitter at KillerFromSpace, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore Horror underscore Critic. New episodes release every Friday, so keep your eyeballs peeled, just the way I like them. Have a good night, horror fans. <laughs> <laughs>